0: You know, thinking about fathers, some of you have asked how my dad's doing. He had a good surgery. They only needed three out of the five hours to get as much of the cancer as they could. He'll recover for a while and then go into treatment for uh, his kidney cancer, etc. Prognosis is still not good, but we have a good God, and whether he lives long or short, uh, he's gonna live really long in the kingdom As all of us will. And and he's the most positive person about the whole thing because he knows he'll be all right, you know. Um, But I did get some sad news that Sumathi's dad passed away. Um, She and the kids are over in India right now. And so let's send up a prayer for Sumathi and her family. Uh, This is a weekend where we remember our fathers, but for some of us, it's a painful reminder. And so we want to be sensitive to that and realize that uh, uh, it's not always a happy time for every family in every situation. So let's bow our heads and pray. And and along with that, there won't be a men's ministry breakfast tomorrow being the holidays, and they're going to take a break until uh, the fall. So please note that. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, whether we have a, a dad that's alive or not, all of us have you. Whether we had a good dad growing up or not, we have a good father in you. And so today, we all are a part of the same family. We're all your children, and we're so grateful for that. Lord, we pray for Sumathi and her family. This is a difficult time, a time of loss and mourning. And, and this weekend is a time where many remember a father who's no longer in the picture, or a father who was not in our lives in a good way. And so, Lord, please be with those whose hearts are grieving. Uh, But, Lord, we look forward to the day when we can see you face to face, our Heavenly Father, where we can be in your kingdom forever and ever. So, Lord, uh, bless us as we open your word and talk about growth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 1914, it was January, and the steamship Monroe was heading northbound off the coast of Virginia, and it was a foggy evening, about 7 p.m., and disaster struck, literally, when the Monroe and the Nantucket ship collided. Uh, They tried to avoid the collision, but it actually probably made it worse. Uh, and the Monroe sunk to the bottom of the ocean along with 41 of its crew and and, uh, people who were riding along on it. During the investigation, they grilled the captain of one of the ships for five hours, and during this interrogation, they discovered that on the Monroe, the compass that was used to steer and orient the ship was off by a little bit by uh, as much as two degrees off of true north. And while this may not have been the absolute cause of the wreck, or the direct cause, it had a lot of people wondering, how can you orient a ship when it's not guided by a compass that is pointing in the true north, in the true direction? It reminds us this morning that it's very deadly to live and navigate with compasses that are misoriented. And it's very dangerous for us in our lives if we try and live with hearts that are not oriented towards true north. You remember last week we talked about how you are what you love. What we love, we worship. And what we love, what we worship, those are the things that we do in our lives. And we also realize that oftentimes We can think we love one thing, we can think we love God most and supreme in our life, but really the the little things in our days, the little choices and decisions and how we use our time, that indicates the true north, the true love in our hearts and lives. And if we find that our hearts aren't loving God supremely as we would like them to, we saw clearly that the Bible says change is possible. We're not slaves to who we are currently. We can change through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ended last week by saying, how? How do we change? And that's what today's sermon is going to start. It's actually part one. We're going to do part two next week. But before we get into how our hearts are changed, I just want to remind us about the condition of our hearts. In case any of us forgot or doesn't realize that we need change in our lives. Just a few verses, and as as Malcolm and I were talking this week, there are a lot of reasons why we need a new heart every single day, but these are just a few. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is wonderful. Jiminy Cricket, uh, on that old Disney movie a long time ago, he said, always let your conscience be your what? Your guide. Well, he forgot that the heart is Deceitful above all things, and it's just a little bit wicked. What is it? Desper- desperately wicked. If wicked wasn't a bad enough word, God inspired the prophet to write it. It was desperately wicked, and who can know it? Do we need a new heart? Absolutely, every single day. Job 14, verse 4 Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. So it's not just a matter of taking our desperately wicked hearts and making little improvements here and there to evolve it into a clean heart. No, 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 Job says we can't even take something unclean out of something that's clean. If you're in a mud puddle, you're not going to wash your mud off by washing in the mud puddle. You've got to go to a clean water source. First John 1 verse 8, If we say that we have no sin... We saw this in our sermon series on 1 John. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So is it clear just from a few examples, and we could have talked the whole sermon, is it clear that we need God's help to have a new heart? Is that clear? If it's not clear, we're going to have to keep talking about it because (laughs) you won't realize the importance of the next part. So our only solution is for God to help us. That's our only solution. David said it really good after his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51, verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart. Notice he didn't say initially, just wash up the current heart that I have. He did ask for cleansing from hyssop, but first he said, create. God, you've got to make it because it's not currently there. It doesn't exist. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. A new heart is a gift from God. The desire to repent is a gift from God. Amen? From the very beginning, I want this to be very, very clear. We're going to be talking about growth and sanctification and how we change what our hearts love. But don't misunderstand my language. It's all based on the foundation that God is the only one who can do that. He's the only one that can give us a new heart. So in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new what? Spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We need a heart transplant. Not a heart makeover. Is that that clear? We need a heart transplant. And the only buddy who can do that is God through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But if you're like me, you may have noticed that you can ask for that new heart one day and you can go to bed with a new heart. But in the morning you wake up, where did my new heart go? Right? We need it to be renewed again that day. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I die yearly. I die bimonthly. I die once when I was 14 at summer camp. He says, I die daily. In other words, we need to ask God every single day for a new heart, and even multiple times throughout the day. But we don't need to wait for this feeling. Once we have prayed and asked God for it, we can by faith believe it that we have been given that new heart. Sometimes we're hoping for this magical transformation where all of a sudden we have one prayer and then we have no more desire to sin after that prayer. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. Just one time, say to God, God, I'm thinking clearly right now. I don't want to give you all my heart and my desires right now. And then from that point on, we would not want to sin. That would be amazing. But that's not, for whatever reason, how it tends to work. Now, there are people, and I believe it, there are people who have given their heart to God and God has removed certain sins from them in that moment instantly. That happens. It happened to a friend of mine, but it didn't happen for all of his sins. Right? Are you following what I'm saying? There is need of God to continue to do a work in our hearts and in our lives. So it's not generally the entire life instantaneously instantaneously changed. And notice this from the devotional uh, Amazing Grace. It says it takes what? Time for us to transform the human to the divine. So we shouldn't be discouraged if we aren't the perfect people that we want to be in God's eyes right now. It takes time. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime. But we should daily be seeking it. So in the same way that it takes time to turn our corrupt hearts into divine hearts, the reverse process also takes time or to denigrate those formed in the image of God to the brutal or the satanic. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself a Satan worshiper. It takes time to go from one level down and it takes time to go up. But it's all bathed in the grace of of, the, of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And she concludes by saying, by beholding, we become what? Changed. Changed. We're going to talk more about that next week. So just because you accepted the new heart today doesn't mean that God doesn't have more work to do in your lives. So changing what we love, changing what our hearts desire, what our longings are, character growth, also known as sanctification, it takes time But it's also a partnership with God. What did I call it? A partnership. Why is that? Well, look at this. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Paul was away from them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, there is a partnership that's going along. It's all of God's grace, it's all of God's power, but God has to work with willing hearts. And so when I give my heart to Him in the morning and He gives me a new heart, and then I reach a point in my morning or my afternoon where the Holy Spirit's saying, okay John, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I again have a choice. I can choose to reject what God wants to do in me in that moment, or I can choose to say, okay, I'll stick with the program, God. I will let you work, will, and work for your good pleasure in my life. It's a partnership. But we're saved only by the grace of God. Notice this from the book Acts of the Apostles. God wishes for us to have mastery over ourselves. But he cannot help us without our what? Our consent, our willingness. We talked about that with the 144,000. They're willing to follow the lamb wherever he goes. He needs our consent and our what? Our cooperation. As we walk through our day, God is wanting us to cooperate, not just in the morning, but throughout our day. Throughout our day. The divine spirit works through our powers and faculties given to man. Of ourselves, we are not able to bring the purposes and desires and inclinations into harmony with the will of God. But if we are what? Willing to be made willing. Sometimes we're really stubborn, so God says, all right, let's back it up a little bit. Are you willing? We're like, no. Okay. Are you willing to be made willing? I think I can do that, God. Make me willing and I'll be willing. He says, okay, we've got a platform that we can work from here. If we're willing to be made willing, the Savior will accomplish this for us. So this is a partnership. We would like it if, there are, if we just give our hearts to God when we're 14 and then we never have any resisting of sin ever again. But it's for our own growth and benefit that God allows us to cooperate with his Holy Spirit. Is this making sense so far? Okay. So, what are the key ingredients to this change in our love, our change in our hearts, the this, this sanctifying of our hearts and souls? I've put some here on, or I'm about to put some on the screen, and we're going to talk about some today, we're going to talk about some next week. It's not an exhaustive list, but these are some ones that are really important, and we've talked about this first one already. Number one, don't resist God's work in your life. Accept the new heart. You cannot be changed at all if you're unwilling to be changed. You ever tried to change somebody in your life? (laughs) Change is impossible unless they're willing. And typically, we're not good agents of change in other people's lives, right? Better to let the Holy Spirit do its convicting. We can be used by the Holy Spirit, but generally, the Holy Spirit has to do it. So don't resist. Check out this. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people, all men, to who? To myself. Has Jesus been lifted up from the earth? Yes. He was lifted up at the cross, and he was also further lifted up when he went up into heaven, but primarily there at the cross. So he's been lifted up. Therefore, based on his own testimony, he is now drawing everybody to him. He's like the greatest magnet that's pulling us. But the magnet of his love and Holy Spirit will not pull us. We won't go unless we are willing. So number one, we have to not resist. And we looked at this, one of my favorite books, steps to Christ. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but I want to read it again. The sinner may what? Resist this love. You have the option to resist. You may, re- be re- you may refuse to be drawn to Christ, but if you do not resist, you will be drawn to who? Jesus. To Jesus. In knowledge of the plan of salvation will lead him to the foot of the cross. Number one if you want your heart to be changed, if you want the deepest loves in your life to be changed, it has to start with willingness. But guess what? If you're unwilling, God can make you be willing. So you might have to take it a step further and say, God, I am currently unwilling totally, but I want to be willing. Please help me. Step number one, don't resist God's work in your life, accept the new heart. Number two, become aware of what's shaping your loves. Become aware. Now we already mentioned God has to give us a new heart and that's where it comes from. But if you're like me, there may be things in your life that that cause you to revert back to your old heart or your old inclinations. There are little things throughout your day or in your life that make you want to flip back to the old you. Rejecting the new you that God has already given you. Does that make sense a little bit? Uh, So so how do we become aware? We've got to become aware of what's shaping our lives. Last week we saw that we are what we love and what we love causes us to do certain things. Um, Some researchers did some brain scans of people who were religious. They They were... looking at the brain, and then they would flash a religious image in front of them. So maybe a cross, or maybe a church, or maybe the Bible. And when the Bible, or the cross, or a church would flash before them, or a picture of Jesus, in their brains they would see the activity, where the activities were happening in their brain. And they could see these are the areas that are activated by religious thought, or by religious experience. And then they took people who were fanatics For technology. They took Apple product fanatics. Anyone an an Apple fanatic? I use Apple but I'm not really a fanatic. But they took people who were just sold out in love with all sorts of Apple products and they put the the device on their head or they put them in in the tunnel. I don't know exactly how they were doing it. And then they would flash pictures of Apple devices, an iPhone, an Apple laptop, Um, various Apple products, and then they would also put like PCs and different non-Apple products so that they could compare and contrast. And you know what they saw when they looked at the brains of these people? When they looked at the brains of these people, they saw the brain lit up the same way for the Apple fanatics when they were looking at Apple products. as as the religious people when they were looking at religious things. The brains identically looked like they were worshiping the things, the technology that was in front of them. So when we say that you worship what you love, we're not just saying that. There's scientific research indicating that the brain is experiencing its love for apple, or it could be whatever is in your life. It's experiencing in the same way that you experience when you worship God. So that's why it's really important for us to be aware what influences are we allowing in our lives? Right? What are we allowing to shape us and mold us? What are we allowing to make us feel like we're worshiping? Because those things are turning our hearts from God if we're not careful. Now, obviously, I have nothing against Apple or against a lot of these things. But you can see how, if we're not careful, we can be influenced to start worshiping things that are other than God. How do people become hooked on consumerism? You know what consumerism is? It's just this, this desire to keep on buying things, and you've got to go to the mall, you've got to get online, you've got to have the newest iPhone, you've got to have the newest this, the newest that. You're feeling a little bit down? Okay, well, go to the mall. It'll make you feel happy. Spend some money on yourself. You'll feel good. And, and people use shopping as medicine, right? Not happy until you have the, the latest this and that and the other thing. How do people become hooked on consumerism? Is it because the sellers of products come to you and say, if you buy this, you'll be happy? Are they that overt? No, it's much more subtle than that. They show us pictures of people enjoying their products and they're happy and they're attractive and they're the right weight and they have all of these things going for them. <gasps> if I had that toothbrush, I would have a girlfriend, right? <laughs> if I used that deodorant, I would have muscles like that guy, right? And we obviously don't believe that, but our heart starts to long for that and we begin to get a picture of a different kingdom that we're wanting to go towards. And and so we go to the store, and we enter the mall, and and we see all these things, and and they're playing happy music, and they're bright lights, and, and we just feel really good about ourselves. But then after a few weeks of that new outfit, or that new game, or that new this, or that new that, it's lost its sense of purpose, and so we have to go back Again and again and again. And I'm not saying it's wrong to shop. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the mall. Of course not. But when we go to the mall, when we shop, we need to be looking what messages is this trying to communicate to me? And am I going to accept that message or am I going to reject that message? Do you know what I'm saying? Because if we're not careful, we are going to find ourselves totally sucked into this world you know, they've had to start making rules uh, and laws about what kind of advertisements they can have for little kids. Uh, you know, the cereals and the foods and the things on TV because they've realized kids, they are totally impressionable. And when they see that ad on TV for this product that's not healthy, it's going to make them want to get it. And have you seen any of that stuff in the news? It's, it's really interesting. And so... They've had to start regulating what's allowable to show to kids because they realize when you're exposed to things, it starts to change what you love, what you desire, and who you become. Some of us are waiting for God to take away our desire for sin, Um, but we're going to find out that God actually wants us to take action even before that. What about, what about prejudice and stereotypes? How do we get prejudices and stereotypes? Are we taught them in school? Is it, do, we, do people have signs on them? Do, do we read about it and then say, oh, I think I'm going to be prejudiced against this group of people or that group of people? Usually, we get it from, as Marcy said, from our parents. We get it from the things that we're immersed in, from what we're saturated with without even our consent of saying, yes, I want to accept this bias towards this group of people or that group of people. It doesn't, we don't even have to give permission, and pretty soon, we become a racist person without even realizing it. Some of you are thinking, I'm not racist. You're probably racist, if that's what you're thinking, right? (laughs) All of us have biases and tendencies, it's true. I'm not trying to offend anyone here, I'm just saying, this is the reality. It's, we all think I am the totally, I'm the person with no like rose colored worldview or no bias at all to my worldview. But all of us have biases. All of us need to be changed because everything that we do does something to us. Let me say it again everything we do does something to us. There was a period in my life when. I found myself using words that I I wouldn't normally use, that I didn't want to use. And I said, well, where did these words come from? I don't use those words. I didn't give myself permission to use those words. And then I remembered, wait, where have I been hearing those words? Oh, okay, I I was hearing those words in that program I was watching, and I like that program. Without me giving permission Hey, TV program, shape my heart, mold my mind. It was happening and had happened already. Or well, what you read, what you listen to. This is, this is foundational. So when we say, number one, um, you've got to pay attention to what's going on, uh, or this is number two, you've got to analyze and be careful of what you're allowing in. We really mean it. We really mean it. We've got to to figure out what messages are being taught to us so that we can reject it and not be polluted by the culture that we live in. Okay, point number three, make a change in your life even before you feel like it. Point number one, don't resist God's work in your life, accept the new heart. Two, become aware of what's shaping your loves. But three, make changes in your life even before you feel like it. Because a lot of us will say, God, you can change all my desires, take away my sin, just just take it. But we we don't want to act until God has taken away that desire. God, I'll stop sinning in this sin you've convicted me of when you make me stop liking it. Right? That's what we do. God, I, I, I would stop this sin, but I like it. And I can't change what I like, right? That's what we think. But the gospel teaches us that we can change what we like. And God wants us to cooperate with him in that process. And God, more times than not, will, will not take that desire away from us. He wants us to exercise the power of the will. He wants us to act first. And then he will work. It's like when they were crossing the Jordan River, the children of Israel entering into the land of promise. Did God part the Jordan before they walked, or did he part it as they were walking? They had to step out in faith into the river, and then God began to work. So a lot of times God says, okay, you want change in your life? Show me. Start changing your behavior, and I'll start changing your attitudes and your interests. If we want to change what we love and what we do, ironically, what we love is shaped by what we do. So if we start doing different things, it will start shaping our love to become different things. You know, I just went caving um, last week. I had no do- desire or interest to go caving, but I was talking to somebody, and they said, "Yeah, we should go caving." And yeah, but there's this part where you need a rope and blah 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 blah. Because I said, oh, "I can take care of that." So I got to apply my rock climbing skills and interests in caving. And we went to this crazy cave where, you know, I'm glad I hadn't eaten more for potluck that week because the entrance was about about this big. I'll show you a picture later maybe. But anyway, now that I've gone caving, what do you think I want to do again? I want to go caving again, right? Because there are tons of caves up there uh, that are wonderful and awesome. So, did I get the desire first? No, primarily I had the experience which shaped the desire. Right? So sometimes we have to act first in new directions and then new desires will be formed. Does that make sense? Sometimes it happens the other way around, but a lot of times we have to make our actions first and then something will change. How many of you go to the gym sometimes to work out? Let me ask you, do you always want to go to the gym? Are you all, okay, Marcy always wants to go. Yeah, but when you're there, it's, it's early in the morning or it's late at night or it's midday, are you always just excited to jump up and go work out? Not usually. But when you leave the gym, are you happy you went? Yeah, so there are things that we already do that we're not excited about doing, but we do it because we know it's important. And spiritually, there may be sin in your life, the behaviors that God wants to change, and God says, okay, if you want that change, start doing something different, and we'll work on the attitudes and interests along the way. Amen. We walk by faith and not by sight sometimes. We step out into the Jordan, trusting that God is gonna help the process. You know, I lived with a healthy family one summer. I eat healthy, try to generally. Um, probably have too much dessert at potluck. But I went to live with this healthy family, and I stayed with them for a month. I was preaching a, a evangelistic series in South Carolina, and my stomach could not handle that level of health. Like they would grind their own grain in the morning. You know, like that's, a, that's another level. We had haystacks, and normally for haystacks, they would use spinach, which already that's like, okay, <laughs> I'll have spinach, but that's not my favorite. But then there was no spinach, so they said, okay, we'll go out to the garden and get some kale. So we had raw kale, which I now, I now like kale. But, but then it was like, whoa, we're doing a haystack with kale? This is... This is a whole nother level of health, right? But after that first week or so, and my stomach started to settle down, you're not going to die with all this health food, at the end of that month, I was starting to really enjoy this healthier way of living. My taste buds were starting to catch up to where my actions were. So if we want to change our loves for our life, our taste buds for our life, a lot of times we have to start by doing the new thing, the better thing, even if it's not the thing we want the most of in that moment, and then our behavior doing that is going to shape what we love, what we want, what we're headed towards in our life. Does that make sense? This is just basically another way of saying exercise willpower and God will help change your heart. Again, this is not us making ourselves better. This is all of us cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work and him empowering us and him giving us a new life. Okay, we've been on the screen a lot. Let's go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Open up your Bibles or your smartphones or the... Bible in the pew in front of you. We're almost done for today, but I want to go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Keys to heart love transformation. Number one, don't resist God's work in your life, accept the new heart. Number two, become aware of what is shaping your loves. Take an inventory of your actions and your activities and your habits because they'll inform you like what's really going on and how it might be impacting you and making you revert back to your old heart. And number three, make changes in your life even before you feel like doing it. And notice what Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or woman reaps what they sow. If you put weed seed in your garden, you're going to grow what? Weeds. If you put apple seeds in your garden, apples will sprout. I don't know if you'll grow them well, but you're going to have apple trees that will start to grow. This just makes sense. But a lot of us are putting junk in our lives wondering why our heart isn't getting any better. God, change me. God, change me. But what are we putting in? Are we cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit? Verse 8, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, his flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. If you're sowing for sinful behavior, you're going to get sinful desires even more. But if you're sowing the seeds of the kingdom in your life, the seeds of the Holy Spirit, that's going to begin changing your life. Number nine, and let us not become weary in doing good, for at the appropriate time, in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. If we don't give up. If we want that change in our lives, then we need to continue on making these decisions, positive choices, even if we don't at first feel like it, and there's going to be a harvest, a harvest of the Spirit. I want to share a a poem with you from Alexander Pope. It's called, Seen Too Oft. Vice, that means sin, is a creature or a monster of so frightful mean, that means appearance, as to be hated needs but to be seen. Sin, in other words, is just such a horrible monster that all you need to do to hate it is just look at it. But check out the second half of the poem. But seen too oft, familiar with her face, first we endure, then pity, then embrace. At first, the sin that Satan tempts us with, maybe. Is just disgusting and repulsive. But the more we associate with it and its relatives and the culture that's surrounding it, we're going to begin to not be so afraid of it and disgusted by it that eventually we say, That's what I want for me also. Powerful words, seen too often, familiar with their face, first we endure, then pity then embrace. So what have we learned today? This is part one. Next week we've got part two. We've learned don't resist. <laughs> Number one step, say, God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to give me better desires, better loves in my life. Give me that new heart. Number two, take an inventory of what your time is filled with, what, what you're seeing and experiencing and feeling as you go throughout your day because those are probably shaping who you're becoming And number three, make changes in your life even before you feel it. Next week, we're going to start talking, we're going to talk about what those positive changes will be uh, and how our habits can be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to end with just a a brief anecdote from C.S. Lewis. Have you heard of C.S. Lewis? Famous Christian author. He said when he was a child, he often had toothaches. Anyone have toothaches ever? So when he was a child, the dentistry was you know, even, was not as good as it was today, but he would get toothaches a lot. And he knew if he would go to his mom, his mom could give him an aspirin or some sort of pain reliever that would help numb the pain from his toothaches. But he writes that more often than not, he would just lay in his bed not going to his mom. He says this. He said, I could... Um, I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew that she would also do something else. I knew that she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get out what I wanted of her without getting something more, which I did not want. He writes, I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I couldn't get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew that those dentists, I knew they would start fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. (laughs) And he concludes by saying, our Lord is like dentists, the dentists. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he'll cure it all right, but he'll not stop there. That may be all that you asked, but if once you call upon him, he will give you the full treatment. Do you want to be made well? Do you really want God to give you better desires, a better heart? If you do, then go to him. Tell him you're willing and start this journey. Continue this journey. It's going to last a lifetime. But in the end, just like going to the gym, you'll look back and say, I am so glad I was willing. I'm so glad for what God has done in my life and through my life. Let's pray. Dear God, you alone can change us. You alone can give us the desire to follow you and let you into our hearts and lives, to let you change our desires, to give us new ones, to give us that new heart, to hold us and to keep us. And so today, Lord, by faith, In our hearts, each one has a choice. And today, my choice is that I want to continue on this journey, Lord. Even if that means that you've got other things in store for me, surprises, other areas you want to change me, Lord, it's not worth staying the same. Thank you for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we will see you next week.